0: Our call to worship this morning is some words from the Baptist resource Gathering for Worship. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we have turned to dust and all we know has found fulfillment, God will be. Not denying the world, but delighting in it. Not condemning the world, but redeeming it through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God was. God is. God will be. Way, way back, many years ago, when I was training to be a Baptist minister, I spent a year working with the Church of England. And if you go into a Church of England church, every Sunday you get the same prayers out of a book. And I used to think, oh, this is awfully, awfully boring and awfully, awfully samey. I'm going to write my own prayers. Well, usually I do. But sometimes other people can write them better. And sometimes, you know, if we're tired or awfully busy, it's good to go back to that treasury of prayers that other people have written for us. So I make no apology for the fact that our prayers this morning are mostly out of books, well, the ones I'm leading are anyway. Uh, As is our practice, after our, uh, our prayer, which was going to be a responsive prayer this morning, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. And again, we will say that in our own first languages, whatever they may be. And I think we've certainly got at least four first languages this morning. Uh, We've often got more than that, but that's great. But we certainly, I don't think Jeff's here, so we've got no Welsh, but we will have English. Uh, Yoruba, is it for you, Adi? Yep. Lithuanian, Hungarian. So at least four languages when we get to that point. And if we end at different points, it doesn't matter. It's okay. And you do whatever version of the Lord's Prayer is comfortable for you. And as I say, week by week these days, lots of announcements, there is a version going to appear on the screen. So our prayer together is responsive. It will appear on the screen. It is also at number 81 in the hymn book, if you prefer to to use the hymn book to follow the words. And I will say the words which will appear on the screen in in yellow, I think. Yep, yellow. uh, Light type in the book. And you'll respond with the white stroke bold type. Let's just take a moment to think what we're doing after all those announcements. We come to God in prayer. This is the place and this is the time. Here and now, God waits to break into our experience. To change our minds, to change our lives, to change our ways. To make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light. To fill us with hope, joy and certainty for the future. This is the place, as are all places. This is the time, as are all times. Here and now, let us praise God. And we do that as we join together in the words of the Lord's Prayer.
1: Testament reading today is from Psalm 62, beginning at verse 5. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend upon God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Our Gospel reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him.
0: So today we carry on our exploration of the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and today we do reach the end of what the scholars seem to think is the introduction and begin to move into what they think is the gospel proper. And it's a really fast-paced gospel, this one. It just leaps from one thing to the next as if there's no sort of sense of, of time. It just ding, 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 one thing after another. If you remember, um, and you've got a good memory because this was a couple of weeks back now, you'll recall that the scholars generally think the opening verses, certainly as far as verse 11 and possibly to verse 15, are a kind of prologue or preface that set the scene for this gospel. We've already noted and we've been reminded of the strong hints of the Isaiah vision, the the hints of the uh, things that are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, and this paradise motif in which Jesus, the Son of Man, is the one in whose time and by whose work the reconciled creation of the kingdom of God begins to be experienced. And the first evidence of this is his safe passage through the wilderness, where the wild beasts were. And now, as the introduction reaches its conclusion, the conclusion of the introduction, uh, we're told that John the Baptizer has been arrested. Or, in a more direct translation from the Greek, he has been handed over. Without wasting any words, the author basically is saying to us, John's work is complete. That's the end of that phase, the John phase. But also, his choice of words of being handed over is not insignificant. Because in due course, we will hear mention of Jesus being handed over. So if you've got ears to hear, there's already a hint of where this story might take us. So it's the end of John's ministry. And that leaves the way open for Jesus to start work. But theologically, the end of John's ministry indicates a paradigm shift. A new beginning as Jesus announces and inaugurates his kingdom. The way has been prepared. The stage is set. And Jesus returns to Galilee where we probably know from other Gospels that he grew up, but Mark isn't actually interested in any of that. And we know that first century Galilee was a bustling cosmopolitan area through which all sorts of trade routes ran. People would have spoken Greek and other people would have spoken Latin. There were Greek and Roman influences and probably lots of other Um, influences from the east and the south and the north as well. And it's in the context of this bustling, prosperous region in which there are several thriving fishing businesses that Jesus comes and picks up where John left off. Or does he? The very first words attributed to Jesus in this gospel carry a clear echo of John's proclamation but there's a distinct new emphasis. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Seems to be a bit of a pattern in John that he does like four little statements in a couple of sentences that go together. The time is fulfilled. In our English translation, it's perfectly reasonable to hear this as saying... Well, that's it. The waiting time is over. This is when the new thing begins to happen. And in some ways, that's perfectly true, isn't it? The waiting time is over. Jesus is about to begin his work. This really is the beginning of the good news, if we go back to those opening words that, that Mark uses. But for all of that, his choice of words suggests that this is not all he's saying. He's saying. I think probably everybody here is aware of the different time-related words that get used in the scriptures, particularly from the Greek. And the word Mark uses here is kairos, a word that is often used too glibly in Christian speech these days. But it's a word that carries with it not just a sense of a literal time, a literal season, but that this is somehow a God moment a hinge moment, an aha moment, or in my own preferred uh, terminology, hmm moment. Something is going on here. Something significant about this. The waiting time is over for certain, and this is the kairos. This is the indefinable, inexplainable, but somehow recognisable change. Something new starts and it starts here and now. The time is fulfilled. Events have been leading up to this point. The previous bit of the story of, of John the baptizer, of Jesus' baptism, of his sojourn in the wilderness. has been preparing a way in our hearts and our minds for what comes next. The hints and glimpses have pointed to this. It's a shift From the future tense to the present tense. This is a new time that we are now in. The kingdom of God has come near. Mark's readers, like ourselves, have been alerted to the beginning of the new age. As Jesus, in the wilderness, remains free from harm, despite there being wild animals there. And he's waited on by angels, which might just mean messengers, having his needs fully met. And this is exactly the kind of image we had with the psalmist, with the overflowing cup, all this need beyond measure. Jesus has been taken care of in the desert, and and in that we begin to glimpse something of the reality that the psalmist hoped for. The paradise motif, the lion and the lamb in peaceful coexistence, A restored, reconciled creation has begun physically and temporarily or chronologically in the wilderness near Galilee. Somewhere in that desert place, something changed. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, or in Galilee, nothing has changed. Life goes on as before. There isn't a magic spell, isn't suddenly everything's right. The kingdom of God is near, but for all that the time is fulfilled, for all that this is all now present tense, there is an ongoing work of transformation. The kingdom of God is near physically, beginning to be experienced in this bustling cosmopolitan, religiously plural region. The kingdom of God is near temporally, as the new age begins. And the kingdom of God is near spiritually, mysteriously, as it begins in the God-man Jesus, an as yet unrecognized Jewish teacher and wonder worker, who, if we go with Mark's story, has appeared seemingly from nowhere. Waiting is over. The time is right. The promised kingdom is establishing itself. Repent. A one word command, which the Good News Bible chooses to turn into a phrase, it says, Turn away from your sins. Now, there is no doubt that turning away from sin is tangible evidence of a changed lifestyle but I'm not sure that it's a direct comparison with repent. The instruction to repent is first and foremost an inward command. To choose to align or realign the mind and the heart and the will Godwards. And later on in this gospel, we'll be reminded that outward piety, doing the right things on the right days and in the right ways doesn't necessarily mean our hearts and minds are correctly lined up. It could just be legalism. It could just be habit. It could just be fear. But what Jesus basically is saying, I want you to choose this. Choose to line up your life with God. A choice born ultimately, of love. Picking up where John left off then, because John told the people to repent, Jesus takes up the cry, repent, turn to God, align your attitudes with those of God, because now we are in this new age. Now the kingdom of God is quietly, subtly invading our experience. Who wouldn't want to be part of that? Who wouldn't want to line up with this new world order. And then his fourth little phrase. Believe in the good news. Do you know, sometimes it's the little words that matter, the little nuances of translation. He doesn't say believe the good news as some kind of cerebral exercise, the acquisition of knowledge and facts. It's not like saying believe that Glasgow is here what he actually says is believe in the good news this is something that you don't just know in your head you know in your heart this is something that's going to shape your hopes and dreams your attitudes and your actions it's not enough just to say yeah yeah i believe the kingdom of god is near but it's actually a need to believe in it and need to start to live that new reality and the difference might be quite subtle it might be even imperceptible and we might even sometimes wonder if we've just totally deluded because we look out and it doesn't look much like the kingdom of god is at hand but this is what jesus said a new age has begun god's kingdom is approaching Line yourself up with God's vision, God's will, and keep on believing. Live today as if this were true. So Jesus has come back from the wilderness. He's inspired with this vision of a kingdom, and he's ready to play his part in its fulfillment. And he's back on home turf, a place he knows quite probably with people he grew up with a hustle and bustle of daily life that was quite familiar. And as he begins to work out what his ministry will look like, the very first thing he does is start thinking who he wants to join in, who he wants to be part of his team. The gospel stories across all the gospels, the calling of the disciples are curious, at least in their historical context. Many of you know probably and have forgotten more about rabbinic schools than than I ever did. No. But basically, these were a group of men who looked around and saw a rabbi and thought, yeah, do you know what? I think he's got something worth learning. And they would go and say, will you be our rabbi? Will you be our teacher? It's almost a bit like calling a minister, only uh, slightly not. But the idea, they'd choose the person who would guide them. But what we actually see is the other way around. Jesus goes out and chooses the people that he wants to come and learn what it means to be part of this new age, this new kingdom. These are the people in whom he spots something and says, yeah, I'd like you, and you, and you. If you look at all the four Gospels, you get huge differences in the stories they tell. But I suppose it's no great surprise that Mark's is short, sharp, and to the point. And it's really a two-phase encounter, two lots of two people who are called. It's even possible that they didn't happen on the same day or the same week, and almost certainly not at the same time of day, even if they were on the same day. Mark's chronology is not always to be taken too literally, otherwise the whole thing's over in about three weeks or something. Jesus is walking by Lake Galilee, and he sees Andrew and Simon catching fish with a net. And he says, I want you to just abandon all that and come with me and you'll cast out nets for people. This story is so familiar to us that perhaps we don't even hear or see what it says anymore. Did you know that these two men both have Greek names? I didn't till I read the commentaries this week. And how many years have I been hearing that story? Almost certainly they were Jewish, though we don't know that. We assume they were, and it seems logical that they would have been. But these are people who have Greek names. The Hellenized culture is part of their world, and Jesus begins among people shaped by that culture. It's really significant, you see, that Jesus doesn't think, right, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. That's where the heart of the religion is. That's where the temple is. That's where I'll find people who will get my message. He starts where he is. And he meets these people. And whatever he says to them, they are convinced to abandon a lucrative business and go off on this mission to fish for people. To cast a net of the good news in the hope that some would get so caught up in what was being said that they'd want to join in. And then Jesus goes on a bit further. And maybe Simon and Andrew were with him. Maybe they weren't. Maybe it was the same day, maybe it wasn't. But we know this much. He saw another lot of men working. And this time they were mending the nets or preparing or folding the nets, which suggests a different time of day. And this essential work is interrupted by Jesus Though nobody tells us what he actually said. Doesn't give us a set of words this time. But James, who in Hebrew would be Jacob and John, are part of a family business that includes hired hands. And whatever it was that Jesus said to them, they dropped what they were doing. They left their father with the hired hands and off they went. Something in what Jesus said persuaded them that their livelihood and even their family were worth leaving behind. Whatever those words were he spoke to them, and they're not recorded, it was life-changing. Were we to read on in Mark's Gospel, we'd find two more significant references to those that Jesus called. In chapter 3, he's recorded as choosing 12 out of a much larger group of disciples The 12 disciples who he designates as apostles, the sent ones, the ones he commissions to preach. And then in chapter 6, we discover that he actually sends them off in twos on their first mission. And some people think that this two business is why we get them called in twos, because they're then sent in twos. Who knows? Well, that's all fine, isn't it? That's all very interesting, but then we're left with that inevitable, so what, question What is the point of anything I've said so far? And what does it mean for us in our own endeavours to follow Jesus? The Gospel writer quite clearly believes that in the life and experience of a man called Jesus, God broke into history and inaugurated a new world order. This new order of which the prophets had dreamed and spoken was first glimpsed in a wilderness and then in a cosmopolitan area of Galilee. And it was declared by Jesus to those he met. met. A sense that it started and then began to spread out. It began where Jesus was. Perhaps we begin where we are. And the call to realign our minds and hearts with that vision, to dare to dream of a reconciled creation, to begin to live its reality the best we can, surely is as true today as it ever was. Every single one of us, however long or a short a time we've been on this quest, would do well to think about our hearts, our lifestyles, our ambitions, our bank balances, our buying choices, in the light of this reality, that God's kingdom has begun, but we need to work To bring it to its final completion? Can we dream a better future? And can we start to make that happen by the choices we make today? And then the call to closer discipleship, the call to leave behind that for which we may have worked or studied hard, to leave family and friends, home and security. It's not one that comes to everybody. It didn't in Jesus' time. It doesn't today. But for some, it would be. They would go out. For others, they would stay where they were. In all of them, there is this sense of living out the faith so that it is taught and the values are nurtured. But there's always that little question, isn't there? Is God saying something to me, to us, whoever it is? Do we need to decide how we follow that call? Now, I'm not looking out to anybody and thinking, right, God's calling you to be a minister or a missionary or a charity worker or whatever. But it's useful sometimes just to pause and think, am I just pursuing my own agenda? Or am I trying the best I can to follow God's agenda? which might mean a re-evaluation of my priorities. It might even mean laying down work and being with Jesus. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. It's begun. It's here. This is the present tense. Here and now, in Byers Road, in the West End of Glasgow, in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, in Europe, in the world, God's kingdom is there in microcosm. And we are called to realign our hearts and minds to that vision, to dare to believe it's possible. That seems to me to be the crux of this. Dare we believe in this new world order, a world order of justice, of peace, of hope, and of love. Because that's the call that Jesus gives to those who would be his followers. Come with me, says Jesus. Join the adventure and discover what it all means.
2: Let's join together in our prayers for others. Almighty God, help us to remember that all those we bring before you this morning are individuals, People just like us, with all our fears and needs and desires, not simply groups or categories of people on a list. We may not know most of them, but we sincerely pray that you and believe that you, in all your loving care, do know them. God of grace, we stand before you today with all who suffer, with those who are hungry and thirsty, whose food has been stolen by greed, war, and famine. We pray for those who are angry, bitter, or imprisoned because of unfairness. For those who have given up hope, whose grief has no light at the end of the tunnel, who believe they have been ignored, forgotten, or betrayed. For those of any religion or faith who face abuse and discrimination and persecution because of the criminal actions of some who kill and make war. In the name of so called religious faith, for governments that could make a difference but fail to work for justice. We find it hard to accept the motives of politicians and world leaders who turn out in strength in Paris, yet ignore the thousands who are being killed in Africa. We hold up before you all who suffer through illness. We thank you that we may be on the way to finding a vaccine against Ebola. But remember, in love, the hundreds who still suffer and the thousands of children left orphaned by this epidemic. We pray for all the agencies seeking to meet that need. God of liberation, May the glorious light of your gospel reach into the darkest corners of your world and our lives and open the eyes of people's hearts that we, even we, might embody your compassion, your healing power, and your self-giving love in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Holy and mysterious God, we have all heard you calling us, sometimes softly, sometimes explosively. Help us to go, Lord, where you lead us. Give us your grace to express with confidence our story, to share the good news of God's love made known to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
2: you oh.